Okay, let's get right into it. Uh, suppose that you were an oyster. In fact, suppose that you were a Christian oyster, if there is such a thing. <laughs> and you have this nice shell around that you, protects you from being eaten and broken and all that. And then one day, a sharp cornered piece of sand gets inside the shell and just irritates the fool out of you. <laughs> and you can't get it out. And when you breathe, it scratches. And if you try to open the shell, it, gets, it hurts even worse. That's what God uses to get us moving in a certain direction or thinking about something. It's called an irritation. <laughs> in an oyster, it results sometimes in a beautiful pearl, which women wear around their neck or on their clothing. And in us, it results in a greater pearl, doesn't it? It's this continual irritation. I mention that because uh, a little earlier this year, a visiting preacher came to speak to the small home group that I meet with. We don't have many of those. We're too small. <laughs> but uh, he was talking about how churches ought to function, and he got around to Pentecost, you know, describing this great harvest of souls. 3,000 came to the Lord on the day of Pentecost. And then as he waxed eloquent on his subject, he said, and any church, meaning us at that point, that is not having those kinds of things happen, then your epitaph is already being written. And I started to raise my hand, but held it down, sat on it. <clears throat> that was a grain of sand inside of my shell. <laughs> uh, I think everybody knows the story of Pentecost, so we don't need to go back into that, you know. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, and so on, in Acts chapter 2. And all that has sprung out of that. Now, let me put a disclaimer in here. I love to evangelize. It's just built into me. I, I like to talk with people and see the lights come on in their eyes, and it, it's, it's a great thing. But when somebody says, if you as a body of people aren't doing this with huge results, then somebody is writing your epitaph, and I guess the only somebody I could think of that could do that would be <laughs> Christ. Yeah. And uh, he was proclaiming death to this group that thrives on life. But the irritant worked because over the following days and weeks, this kept coming back to me. Was Pentecost a pattern for us to follow? Or was Pentecost a paradigm shift? A total changing of the guard. Out with the old and in with the new. And maybe the marvelous results we're just to show people there that this isn't the apostles starting a new evangelization, mobilization program. <laughs> but this is God taking over and doing what he wants and starting things in a direction. And to do that, God usually gets our attention by something called a sign or a miracle or a mighty deed. He does that to get people's attention. 
Pentecost was 100% the risen Christ's doing. It was his initiative. And those amazing things that they experienced that day signaled God's new way of dealing with human beings. Before we really get into all of that, let's look at the history behind it. Back in Leviticus chapter 23, and I'm going to visualize the scene the best I can. It was something like this. Every year, every year for 2,000, 3,000 years, one of the younger priests who was still athletic would go up in the big apartment building adjacent to the temple, and he would climb up to the attic on a ladder and he would open a trap door up there and he'd go out on the roof and there was a little bit of a shelter up there, shade. He'd go up there early in the morning and as the sun was rising, he'd look out, not of the city, but beyond the city at the fields. And what was he looking for as he scanned the horizon of all these agricultural fields surrounding the city of Jerusalem? He was looking for the first head of grain to show up. And then when that day came and he saw that glinting in the sunlight because the grain, you know, amber waves of grain in that great song, (laughs) he would go out into the field there and take some holy string or cords. He would snip off those heads of grain and make a little sheaf out of them. He would bind them together and take them back. And with the whole body of the priesthood, they would wave that sheaf before the Lord as first fruits. Pentecost was a name that came about when everybody had to learn the Greek language in order to buy or sell anything. Penta comes from Greek, meant 50, 50 days after Passover. But its real name is the Festival of First Fruits. What are first fruits? And that's all one word. First fruits is evidence that there's going to be a harvest. It's God's guarantee. And this was a totally agricultural society. They didn't have automobile factories or repair shops. They didn't have telephone business. They had agriculture, (laughs) whether it was plants or animals. Very agrarian. And if there wasn't a good harvest, if the first fruits didn't show, they got worried because mothers would starve and babies would starve and, you know, all of the bad things would happen. People would lose their land and have to wait till Jubilee to get it back sometime in the next 49 years. It was a tough thing. But most years, God brought the harvest. And through that, God was picturing for them and for generations to come that he gives a leading indicator of what's coming. A preview of coming attractions. And it's not just a physical harvest of grain and food. 
The coming attractions included things like the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but think about the priests and the people who were involved in this. They, I think in their hearts, they knew that they were taking what God had given and showing it back to him. Remember the showbread that was made from that? You know? They were showing it back to him saying, this is from you and we offer it back to you. And that was pointing towards us saying, what you've given us comes from you and we offer it back to you. You probably remember the use of first fruits in the New Testament. We are a kind of first fruits. And when it comes to the resurrection, Paul wrote in Corinthians that Christ is the first fruits and then those who are his at his coming. This is a familiar theme. So for our purposes today, let's just drop the word Pentecost and call this first fruits. It's worth remembering and it's worth celebrating. When the day of first fruits arrived, 50 days after Passover, about seven weeks, in that first year of the new era, it was like a huge gate that was on a huge hinge began to turn on that day, that day of first fruits. History would soon be changing in ways that nobody had anticipated. For instance, instead of striving to obey the law, God's children would live by grace, apart from the law. Instead of needing a priest to interpret God to them and to go to God on their behalf, every child of God would be a priest to those around him. Rather than being taught God's laws, every child of God would have the ultimate truth of God written in their heart. Different. A lot different. No longer would they need to go to the temple or any temple because they were the temple. This is a paradigm shift, big time. Out with the old, in with the new. And what's the new? It's the new creation. It's God's new creation. The old creation simply pictured something that was incomplete and temporary. The new creation is spirit and is eternal and is magnificent. They didn't need sacrifices for cleansing for their misdeeds and missteps because the Father says, I see you as holy and blameless in my sight and in my Son. And gradually, as Christ revealed it to one after another, they began to see that God had united them, brought them into union with Christ so completely that they had actually been joined with him in his death. 
That's the message of first fruits. Christ first, and then all of those who are Christ's, through who he through whom he would manifest himself as the rest of the first fruits. To me, first fruits is the message of union, of total oneness. They were one so completely that the only life left for them would be Christ faithfully living his life in their physical body. And their part was to simply trust him to do that, even though appearances seemed to contradict it. Now, the world considered them a little weird, but then worldlings live mostly by appearances, and they were no longer to live by appearances, but by simply believing what God had said was true. And those first believers, part of the first fruits, by means of trusting the Spirit in them, they discovered that they came to know one another in a brand new way. They didn't know each other as, well, he's the cousin of that uncle. They knew each other as a brother, a sister in the Lord, a new family. And that they were joined in a kind of a family of love. And I agree with the prior speaker, the love of the agape kind. (laughs) That kind of love. And that bond gradually became more important to them than the old personality conflicts, the differing ideas, and even more important than their ingrained stubbornness which is hard to beat. (laughs) So that early preview at this Festival of First Fruits was a preview of coming attractions. And here are some of the attractions. Christ is the first fruits of those who slept. We will be raised from the dead. Romans 8 says, We have received the first fruits of the Spirit. But that's just a taste. That's like a whiff of the fragrant wine. The, the, the degree to which we experience the Spirit now is first fruits. It's a promise. Because later on, in Ephesians 2, verse 7, Paul gets bold and says, So that in all the ages yet to come, now, we're still in, in those and looking for more of them, In all of the ages to come, God will show the riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Having the Spirit of God manifesting Christ through us is a fantastic thing. But you ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) To quote somebody else, that is simply God's 
foretaste given us of what's coming. We're still limited by flesh and blood. I can't ascend from here and fly back to Dallas on my own. I think I have to use somebody's airplane. <laughs> but after the first fruits comes the harvest, and in the harvest, we can go where we will, as it was said this morning. Like the wind, you can't understand it, but you know it's there. It goes where it wants, and you can't change that. We can go like the wind. There's so much to come. I don't know what that whole universe out there, what else it's for, but I think it's for us to visit. Why? Well, because that Christ may be manifested everywhere. You think God's going to limit us to this little ball of dirt here? <laughs> I don't think so. <clears throat> Every day is a first fruits day. Every day we're experiencing a foretaste of things that will be better than what we see. We may get a spiritual sensation or experience and his purpose in that is to jar and jog our thinking into what we will be doing when no longer limited by a mortal body. That's really big. In James 1.18, he writes, We are a kind of firstfruits by his sovereign will. By looking at us people around who haven't experienced Christ in their hearts can see something. And it's a foretaste. It's a firstfruits. Some of the folks who have spoken and shared so far this weekend have said, uh, you wondered, is this all the people there are who understand and believe what we do? No. <laughs> this tent holds the first fruits of a much bigger harvest. Didi and Linda and others are sensing that now through the internet, which reaches not just around the country, but around the world. And whether it's Ula or Sean or, you know, yeah. What, what's in this tent and has been here for these years is a waving of the first fruits before the Lord. Don't feel disappointed by the day of small things. Because you ain't seen nothing yet. Someone said, uh, We no longer know Christ according to the flesh. And the context there was they were no longer to know him according to his days of flesh. It's broader than that, I believe. We're no longer to know each other according to their flesh, but I'm not supposed to know you according to my flesh. I don't 
see you. I don't perceive your real being through eyes, touch, and so on, although that's enjoyable. He's given us the ability now to perceive each other spirit to spirit. And you know that happens. You've had it happen. And when it does, it rocks you, doesn't it? You just meet somebody and you haven't even had a conversation yet, and yet there's an instant bond, spirit to spirit. So to me, first fruits and union are the same package. We, we are in union. But the, the amount of union, the degree of it, the perception of it is in a first fruit status. It's a promise of bigger things to come. We, we believe it. We enjoy it and all that. But again, this is just a sip of the wine, the new wine, compared to what we will have. This is such a huge thing that uh, it would be a good idea to just look up the references to, to first fruits and meditate on and just ask the Lord, what are you telling me about this? Now, he might tell you to go out to some place and you go there and 3,000 turn to the Lord. That'd be wonderful. <laughs> but it may be something simpler because everything that we're doing is just a kind of a wave offering to the Lord, showing him that we believe his promise that there will be a huge, huge harvest. As I'm inclined to do, I'd like to sing a song for you, kind of about these ideas. This is a song directly to Christ. You exceed my heart's desire, yet I ask you take me higher. There are places I know I've never been. I hear you say I'm here, please come in. So I run. For I belong You touch my face And I am stilled Frozen there My heart is filled A love so strong It's hard to believe I want to give as well as receive fill me up so I can give inside of me a fire burns it's your love that I return Empty me and fill me again. This exchange will never come to an end. 
I enter in our joys complete.